When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, good morning to you, New Zealand. Uh, Short week this week, but a busy week and a busy Tuesday as well because uh, we're still in review mode from the weekend and because of that, we're going to be talking to Sir John Kerwin. He'd be a pretty happy man, I would imagine, after the Blues getting up to beat the Crusaders in that epic match on Friday night. What a thriller that was. Uh, yeah, so that we'll talk to uh, JK. Uh, we'll also talk to Jacob Spoonley, uh, of course, football commentator, a former All-White, but uh, he was yesterday at the stadium in Wellington, or was it the day before? Anyway, um, yeah, it was a memorable occasion for those that went 18,000 people, uh, but they lost 4-0. What about that? Uh, Ollie Ritchie and Brad Lewis are on the panel this morning um, and a number of issues to talk about, red cards, punishments for red cards. Uh, Lavina Good will be with us uh, just after 11 o'clock. Uh, what about the Warriors? Hard done by yet again. Uh, everyone's saying so. Uh, what about the bunker? What about some of the results? So uh, Lavina will be with us uh, there. We'll uh, go around the world with headlines with uh, Logan Swinkles around about 11.20 this morning. And we've got to Mount Rushmore because it's Tuesday. Your favourite four sporting events. Favourite four sporting events uh, that you look forward to each year. Or maybe they don't happen each year. Maybe they might happen every four years. Your favourite four sporting events. That's our Mount, Mount Rushmore. We'd love your feedback on that. Hey, give us a call actually. 0800 150811. Uh, we are going to have uh, an open line just after 9.30 this morning. Uh, you can text us on 8833. But we'd really like to hear from you in person. There's a number of things to talk about. The punishments the red cards, the Warriors. Um, what about uh, next weekend when we, we team up against the Australians? How are you expecting that to go in Super Rugby? So uh, what was your sporting highlight or low light over the weekend? So 0800 150 811. Love to hear from you in that window just after 9.30 this morning. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it's not often that rugby's rulemakers get plaudits. often seen as the game is over-legislated and every point of contact and contest, and, and just as often deservedly so. But every now and then it surprises us. The 20-minute red card rule is a beauty. Never seen at its best more than Friday night in Christchurch after Scott Barrett received his marching orders. The Crusaders with 13 on the park at the time found some resolve to hold fast until the support cavalry were allowed to arrive. And then one of the great tension-filled finishes unfolded. The game 
of the season, no doubt. The best two teams delivered to the max and the best team won. Under the rules, refereed as always to the letter of the law by the army of officials, and they do hunt in packs these days. I have to confess as a spectator or a commentator, I find myself watching the referee and listening to his comments far more often than I should or would like to. One of the reasons why is that the tactics are there to play on that, to orchestrate the game, to get penalties, to gain advantage, to kick in the corners, to get the line-out drives underway and inevitably score. Leading try-scorer stats prove that they're dominated by hookers. Is that what the game was designed for? Is that what we want? I mean, if the World Cup started tomorrow, who's your 10 bucks on for leading try-scorer? Cody Taylor or Rico Ioane? And how much time off should Scott Barrett have received after his visit before the beat? Four weeks for me is more than he deserved. Any more than three weeks was excessive. Will taking him out of the game longer than that serve any real point? He'd learned his lesson the moment he started to walk off and leave his side, the one he captains to fend for themselves, and no doubt when he looked around the disappointed dressing room about an hour later. Aside from that, a top weekend of rugby, the Blues are top, the Crusaders now the Pursuers, the Highlanders and the Hurricanes another cliffhanger, Chiefs dominant, Moana Pacific is still in the learning process, but with credibility, a whole bunch of Aussies to take on this weekend, and some more exhausted TMOs in the process, no doubt. Absolutely perfect. They go to the short side. There's Jordan. Gets rid of it. It's picked up. Ball's been dropped. That's the ball game. Blues put it under touch. And at long last, the drought is over. For the first time since Carlos Benso weaved his magic on the game in 2004, the Blues have come to Christchurch and they have won. Well, you get the feeling that Tony Johnson was pretty excited about that, don't you, listening to the commentary there? But uh, maybe it was just because uh, it was such a thrilling encounter as well. I was excited to boot, and uh, I really didn't worry me who won. I would imagine it might have worried uh, Sir John Kerwin, who's uh, joined us on the line this morning. Uh, Former Blues uh, player, of course, former Blues coach, um, and a Blues man in uh, the heart, I'm sure. What a thriller, JK. Thanks for joining us this morning. Fantastic result. Fantastic game of rugby, man. Oh, how good. What a great Easter present for all us diehard Auckland fans. A bit like, a bit like being a Warriors fan, isn't it? You know, you've got to be so patient nowadays. But, um, you know, just a really good... What I was worried about, Smithy, is, and I, and I heard you mention it, um, you know, in the pre-show, is that it could have been a dour, boring affair with lots of malls, right? But it wasn't. There was yeah. an intensity. There was a willingness on both sides, you know, both sides to play footy. And I mentioned on the breakdown the other night that, you know, um, part of our problem, as Bill Beaumont said last year, you know, when our game has played well, um, with both teams are really positive, and I'll add the refs into that, and the, and the refs competent, it is a great game, and it would attract crowds. And trouble is we're not just not getting enough of them, but, you know, that was a good one the other night for sure. What are you seeing from the Blues that uh, is really impressing you this year and, and to this run of form? Uh, I just think the thing that gives me hope is the youth of the side and how they're all working hard to mature. 
So a lot of people were saying to me, oh, Rico, you are you know, we haven't seen those sort of devastating runs. But we also haven't seen him jumping out of his defensive line. We haven't seen him making any defensive um, errors. And he's waiting his turn and doing a couple of great things per game. So I'm really hopeful that he is sort of putting his hand up for, to be the all-black the all 13, especially with Anton Leonard-Brown. And, you know, that, that's a real problem in the midfield. Good has been out for a while. But how long is it, Smithy, since we've had someone with genuine pace like genuine pace, like world-class sprinting pace at centre. So I think if he can master that, um, that's really good. And I just think the the, the leadership of Dalton Popo Ali'i um, for such a young man, you know. So for me, those two things are really cool. And, and the great story that is Romano, you know, coming into a side, bringing a bit of, uh, bringing a bit of maturity, bring, bringing a bit of steel, so, yeah, I, I just think that the, the Blues are in good shape and I think Liam McDonald's got them, um, you know, created a, a winning culture. I mean, that's not easy to do. No one goes down um, to Christchurch and wins. And although the Crusaders were outstanding, you know, coming back from 14 men, I think the, the Blues, you know, did enough and that'll be great for their confidence. A lot of conjecture still about the makeup of the loose forwards for the All Blacks going forward. Uh, but I've got to say, um, if anyone illustrated the fact that they deserve to hold on to or, or own a, a number seven jersey, it was Papa Leti's performance at the weekend. Just not his leadership, but his general loose forward play. Uh, the covering tackle with uh, Akira, uh, not Akira, with um, Rico Ioane in the corner, basically to save the match, was probably um, the biggest highlight of, of that, I thought. But his, his general play was outstanding. Yeah, look, and I think I think there's a there's another issue, there's another discussion out there, Smithy. It's the loyalty that we show to our great servants of the game, and um, how long you do that for. I think there's a lot of the elder statesmen who I love dearly um, that are under pressure from some of the younger guys. I think loose forwards, um, you know, there's a massive competition. Sam Kane's got back to some form. Um, you know, Dalton Popoli, he's knocking on his door. I still think six is an issue. Um, you know, I think Robinson, that was, I think Robinson's been quiet last year um, and he didn't start the year well, but his last two games had been really solid. And I think, what are we going to do, Smithy? This is my question. What sort of mix do we want? You know, because I'm sort of, everyone's sort of been saying for the last, well, since he retired, we, you know, we need to replace Kaino. And I'm sort of going, yeah, okay, get that. But what sort of mix do we want? You know, Adi Savia, do we want him at eight or do we look at him at, at seven and just put him in the competition with the others? Do we want a big six, you know? Frizzell now injured. Um, Tupai Vai played lock the other day. I mean, if you want a guy to play six, he's got to play there all the time. Or do you go, right, oh, we're just going to play um, Kane and Popoli and, so, and give up a bit of line out. So I reckon... Um, the, the All Blacks will need to go, well, okay, how are we going to play? And I keep saying this too, Smithy, 18 tests to go. You know, we can't keep messing with the football team. And these guys, I think if they want to win the next World Cup, they've got to be really comfortable with each other. They've got to know each other. You know, when you just have played with someone and you, you would have done it, um, you know, with bowlers, you just know what they're going to do so you can react. And I knew that with, you know, players like... Um, Joe Stanley, I just knew 
instinctively what he was going to do. I used to know instinctively that uh, Michael Jones was going to be there, and that comes with time in the saddle. So the rotation that we've been doing in the past, I think we need to be very, very careful of because we've missed a year or two through COVID. Mm, we have. Um, we've also missed continuity of, of some players and positions because they've taken short-term contracts overseas, i.e. Bowden Barrett. Um, now this was uh, an interesting matchup. Build is the matchup of the of the round individually. Barrett v Moonga. Um, how did you see that went? And does that, with your eighteen tests to go scenario, does that answer a question for you just yet? Yeah, look, I think um, what we what we forget about Daniel Carter was he had to go through a lot of pain to be as good as he was. You know, didn't play in that game in Wales where we lost or played, and you know, so. Um, injured, came, you know, missed the World Cup, and then he sort of came back. So I think you've got to give confidence to a 10. I think Bowden won that game the other night. The only thing he might not have won was the last 15 minutes with his kicking game. Um, and I don't know whether that came from the coach or he just decided, but he certainly would need to have a look at that from a tactical point of view. But I actually thought he... Um, he came out on top. You know, I think the modern 10 takes a bit of time and needs a bit of maturity. But I, I, I will go back to the same discussion. Got to make a decision and leave them there. They can't be going into World Cup going, oh, is it me or is it him? Um, they've got to make that decision. And I thought Richie Mwanga was quiet and then came right late. So to me, it's not who's the best. It's who can run the football team and who can tactically execute what the coaches want. Um, I don't think having Bowden playing fullback last time was the answer. I think you've got to go, right, here are our two tens, and away you go, fight it out. But I think Barrett is slightly ahead at the moment. Okay, well, let's look at um, uh, an area that's just uh, dear to your heart and the role these days of the wingers. I I remember uh, when it looked as if the Crusaders might uh, get out of jail and score in the corner. They had a lock carrying the ball rather than uh, a winger uh, way out on the touchline there. And I just wondered to myself whether wingers' work rates and the demand on work rates these days takes them out of position uh, from time to time, maybe too often. Yeah, well, I, I always remember I got taught at a very young age, if you want to work off the ball, JK, you work from your wing, so the right-hand side, to the first post so the first goal post and then you start heading back in case we swing backwards um, I don't know if that's still the rule but if um, you know if Sever Reese is out there then he scores so yeah I think there's, there's there's a real balance that you need to make because in that situation I've done all the hard work and um, and you know you need someone to finish wingers um, need to be there to finish so for me was that a positional thing possibly but I always like for the wingers to work to the first post and then get back into position. I think the wing, I think mm. the wingers um, discussions are real good ones, Smithy, because I like mm. the specialist, you know. Um, and it'll be very interesting when Caleb Clark um, comes back from from sort of uh, suspension. <laughs> There's a few of them on suspension at the moment, but yeah. you know, I like having that mix. I like having someone fast. And then I like having someone who's big and strong. So, you know, for me, the mix that I'd like to see out there at the moment would be Caleb Clark. Where do you put Will Jordan? Um, you know, he'd probably be the only guy I'd play out of position because I like Geordie Barrett um, at 15. I like Geordie Barrett 
because I think in World Cup you're going to need someone that can kick a goal from 55 metres, especially against England, if we meet them. So my back three at the moment would be Kato Clark, Will Jordan and, um, and Geordie, and then possibly, possibly um, Sebu Reese. but then putting him on the bench, you sort of miss a position, so that's a hard one. Uh, it is interesting, actually. Um, it's nice to see the gap closing on the Crusaders. I think it has been for a while, but in the last three weeks, they've had two three-point wins and then a loss. So I think that's encouraging, in a way, for New Zealand rugby. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, they. the thing that worries me the most is most, a lot of the time, they have one loss per season and then get better. So, you know, I think, um, you know, you've got Whitelock to come back. I think Barrett out for a while will hinder them a wee bit, but I think it'll be a good learning for them. You know, um, it, it's it's something where you just go, oh, it's, it's a pivotal point. If they're going to have a bad season, it starts now. If they're going to have a great season, it starts now type of thing. So, mm. yeah, real, a real big moment for them. I don't think they've been on form, um, you know, like you mentioned, like we used to. But then I think it's the hardest position to defend, you know, how many times have they won it? You know, they're, they're just always up and always there. I think this this Australian, um, you know, part of the tournament coming up is an interesting one because, and this is no disrespect to our Australian cousins, I just don't know what the comparison of levels are. You know, when you see a humdinger game over there between the Reds and the Brumbies, you know, what, what's the intensity going to be like? What's the difference? I'm hoping it's, it's the gap is closed. And if that's the case, then the Crusaders, are, you know, they're down, they're down the, the ladder. And so they'll need to, to pick their game up from here. The other issue, of course, as you, you touched on before, was uh, punishments and players uh, on suspension, etc. Another two red cards over, uh, two red cards effectively over the weekend, but three players suspended for three weeks or four weeks out of the weekend as well. Uh, where's the issue here? Is it with the players? Is it, is it with the officiating? Is it a, a combination of both? Is it straight-out discipline and technique? Uh, what, what is the problem? We keep losing great players, J.K., and what I don't like about it is when you lose great players. It's like, for me, when, when batsmen, great batsmen get bad decisions in cricket, you detract from the game. And when you take players out of the game, you detract from the quality of the game. And I, that's what worries me about this whole deal. Yeah, look, I think um, I think the punishment has gone up because the players aren't learning. So you would have seen this week that there's been a four-week and a three-weeker. Um, yeah. I think Amor got three weeks and, and Barrett got four. Uh, and I just think because the players aren't learning. So I don't think we're technically looking at this issue well enough. So about... Oh, 10 years ago now, Smithy, I think it's probably 10. I always lose track of time. They changed the scrum law and said that if your shoulders are below your hips, you're going to get penalised, right? So mm. they came up with a technical visual response to the problem. Now, I've been harping on on breakdown saying, if you look behind Scott Barrett, he is actually in a position where he can only hit the, hit the chest or the head. He's technically wrong. Same with Omoor. So if they look behind and there's, you know, there's 12 to 15 cameras watching, they should be, they should have their, their back even with their hips when they tackle. And so I think we need to go. And then 
from there, there's mitigating factors. Because they talk about mitigating factors. The only mitigating factor is that if I'm carrying the ball, Smithy, and I slip into you and I'm falling, that is not your fault. That's a mitigating factor, right? But at, mm. in the end, I think it's a technical thing that's being coached. When someone tackles low, you get coached to hit the ball and wrap the ball up. And your job is either to wrap the ball up and slow it down or hit him, get him to ground, and then get back out of the defensive line. So I think the solutions for me are let's get technical with the TMO so we take all the doubt out of it, right? And secondly, um, the coaches need to start saying, if you, are, if you are tackling like this, then you need to get your shoulders at least even with your hips on contact because then you can't go up, you know? And so I think there's a combination um, of, of that to come into the game. And it needs to be done very, very quickly. Otherwise, you know, this would happen in the World Cup and Barrett's out of the World Cup. Yes, and that's the thing. The level of punishment starting to, um, almost, well, I don't say exceed the crime, but it's starting to really get to the point where, as you say, you lose a guy in week one and he's perhaps had a bit of a history. You could lose him for up to a month, month and a half. Well, that's, that's Scott Barrett's third, third red card, right, for, the, for a similar incident, is it? Yeah. So, he's, you know, he's got, to look at it. he's got to look at his technique because I know he's not a, I know he's not a, um, you know, he, he, he wouldn't have done that on purpose. And as you said, you know, he walked off and he'd be feeling pretty bad about himself. But then if he keeps doing it, you sort of say, well, I can't keep giving you the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's why he's got the long, um, you know, the long red card. Yeah, no. Uh, fair thoughts. Uh, and uh, I loved all your thoughts, uh, JK. Thanks for making yourself available, mate. Have, uh, have a great week and uh, let's look forward to some of that Trans-Tasman stuff at the weekend, eh? Beautiful. Thanks, Mitty. See you, mate. Cheers. Cheers, uh, Sir John Kerwin there with us, uh, folks, our first uh, guest of the week and uh, a nice summary of uh, his blues. Uh, and, yeah, sure, you, if you go through the pain with the blues, and a lot of people have, uh, you're entitled to be enjoying um, a game of rugby like that and an outcome like that. And that's why we'd like to hear from you uh, on 0800 150 811 uh, after 9.30. Uh, give us your impressions of that game. Uh, just give us a two- or three-minute call. It'll be great. We'd love to hear your impressions of the game, maybe your impressions of red cards because they're such a big issue at the moment. Um, anything of that nature and uh, also your texts on uh, the four events uh, that you look forward to in sport whether they be uh, every year, biannually, uh, every four years don't mind, the ones that really get you up uh, and get you looking forward to them each time they happen it's 9.25 here on SENZ Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month visit your local Polaris dealer today summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A few texts uh, have come in uh, about what uh, you're looking forward to or you like to look forward to when it's uh, about to happen. Um, and uh, one of my favourite uh, correspondents, uh, I guess I think it's fair to say, uh, comes into us from uh, Tokamaru Bay. Uh, he's an absolutely cracking guy. Um, Morena Smithy, uh, just uh, recovering from a wet and recovering Tokamaru Bay. Uh, on, on a, we're listening to you, don't worry about that. The US Masters, British Open Golf, the Ashes Cricket Series and the All Blacks Test, uh, whether it's against South Africa or England. Interesting, uh, gone past Bledisloe Cup, I imagine 
15, 20 years ago, we'd all said let us slow cup uh, clashes, but they got so damn predictable in the last uh, 10 to 15 years that maybe we don't look forward to them as much as we used to. Uh, Benny's come in and said, I always look forward to watching State of Origin every year from the pre-game talks to the big hits and uh, the competitiveness that always provides great entertainment. Mark has come in on a slightly different note, listening to John Kerwin and myself saying, you two North Islanders doubt the Crusaders at your peril, Mark. Uh, I'm not doubting them at my peril because I know that they will bounce back. There's just too much quality there. They've got a lot of players out at the moment through fair means or foul. They have uh, just got some issues to fill, so... Um, nice problems, I think, uh, to uh, just to test Scott Robertson and, and the depth of the Crusaders squad. Um, but uh, certainly I think they'll bounce back very quickly. They don't like losing down there and they don't <coughs> take to it kindly at all. Um, look, uh, here, here's a, another idea if you, you might want to call on us because I, I wasn't there. I'd love to have been there. 0800 If you went to the uh, stadium uh, over the weekend to watch the Phoenix return home, uh, what would you feel there about uh, that particular atmosphere uh, was it great to see them back? I know the result wasn't too flash, but uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you went to the Sky Stadium at the weekend to watch the Phoenix play, just give us uh, uh, just a little insight to what it felt like to be there and big crowds back at sport here in New Zealand. Big one for the rugby and a decent one for the football as well. And Eden Park, of course, beckons this weekend. It's 9.32 here on SENZ. Time for some news with Araha. 100 8.11, we uh, invite you to call in this window if you would like to. Um, Brad has come in and said, State of Origin, the Masters, the Ashes, the All Blacks versus the Springboks, the Olympics and NBA playoffs just just miss out. Carl has come in and said, uh, Hi Smithy, the Masters, the Ryder Cup, the World Darts Championship over Christmas are three of my favourite must-watch events. I would imagine Boxing Day Cricket might be on the agenda around Christmas time as well. Um, Hi Smithy, I'm picking the TAB will be too busy counting how much money they made when the Tigers beat the Eels to make a lot of Maltese lose last night to talk to you today. So there you go, they probably might not be available just before 11 o'clock, we'll wait and see them. Yep, Armaguard will have been at the TAB outlets uh, around, there's no doubt about that. 0800 150 811 uh, is your opportunity to be heard here on SENZ in the mornings. Uh, what about you, Logan? What was your highlight over the weekend, do you think? Well, yeah, definitely not the Warriors uh, game, Smithy. I watched that, and much like many uh, Warriors fans out there, I was begrudged and um, disappointed. And I, I hated seeing in the post-match, Sean Johnson, he, um, you know, I was chatting with Stephen McIver and the Sky Sport crew there. You could see the disappointment, and much like him and Nathan Brown, they didn't want to pin it on them, you know, they didn't want to pin it on the refs. They they felt like they could have won that game, and they didn't do themselves any favors. You know, that's the sort of the stance that they're taking. But they have come out and said, "Look, we want to please explain from the NRL. We'll sure we'll hear more of that from uh, Lavina and the panel later on." But outside of that, yeah, it was awesome to see fans back uh, at Sky Stadium. I um, it's been a busy weekend. Uh, obviously, Easter, Smithy. I had my in-laws. Uh, to look after a little baby Madison. Well, not really a baby. She's 18 months now. And uh, so try to watch sport where I could, but it's a little hard to try and squeeze the amount of sport that was on in the long weekend when you also have family commitments. Yeah, we'll be talking to Jacob Spoonley, actually, um, after 10 o'clock uh, this morning. Of course, uh, former all-white uh, and uh, football commentator uh, for Sky. Uh, and he was uh, at the stadium, and what he'd make of that performance by the Wellington Phoenix. A bit of a damp squib, really, if you really went there to see them win, or you're just happy to see them back. That's the thing. And 
uh, you know, very interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I was at that game on Thursday night between the Crusaders and the Blues. Atmosphere amazing. It was uh, like the old days there with uh, with Razor Robertson getting that uh, ovation and, and getting the crowd going before the game. It was a nice feeling. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, you just had that spectacle that unfolded where the, the Blues uh, never really uh, relented. Um, they were under pressure on a couple of occasions and in the end could have lost the match. Uh, perhaps if uh, the Crusaders had a speedster out on the wing rather than the young replacement lock. Incidentally, two young locks playing for the Crusaders as well. Who would have ever thought uh, Gardner and Gallagher would be the two locks at the age of 20 and 19 uh, for New Zealand's best-performed side? But that's where they're at at the moment. Uh, they are desperately wanting to get um, a Sam Whitelock back. They will not have Quentin Strange for a while. Um, and, and so they really are battling in the engine room. The Crusaders, which is uh, which is interesting in itself. Um, also, I suppose over the weekend, uh, this, 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 where are we at with the Stanley Cup, the NHL at this point, uh, Logan? Uh, still in the regular season, actually, Smithy. Um, while the NBA playoffs, uh, oh, I got to get to that as well because it's a bit of a heartbreaker one uh, for people following the Raptors. But uh, yeah, it's still going. The NHL regular season it wraps up uh, at the end of the month, May second is when the playoffs begin. But as far as the NBA goes, the Philadelphia 76ers, they don't have Ben Simmons out... Oh, not Ben Simmons, sorry. He's long gone. He's gone to Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Raptors went down by 20 points to Philadelphia in Game 1. It was 131 to 111. Uh, a bit of a disappointing one there. Of course, James Harden, 22 points. Get this, Tyrese Maxey got 38 points huge game for him and uh, yeah I just they looked way too dominant so uh, Shaquille O'Neal came out saying uh, before the playoffs began that Philadelphia would sweep the Raptors and I thought yeah sure you just love to stir the pot but now I'm starting to wonder if Shaq is onto something yeah uh, well it may be right actually he may well be right I love that show actually with Shaq um, and I uh, have a lot of fun those dudes uh, that's a real fun, a real fun uh, pre-match halftime show. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think they cover their sport really well in America, the NBA in particular. And now, of course, we're being flooded with baseball. The M, uh, Major League Baseball season is well and truly underway as well, and there was uh, plenty of that to go on over the weekend. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting actually to, to see, uh, just to get almost a, a feeling of normality back about sport when you see crowds there and, and not empty stadiums. So there will be empty stadiums though at Derby County because they've uh, been relegated twice English champions. They've been relegated now from the second tier championship after losing a 1-0 at Queen's Park Rangers. <coughs> Fellow strugglers Reading drew 4 all with Swansea City. That was enough to keep them safe. So, uh, of course, uh, Derby well-known manager in Wayne Rooney. They'll be handed two separate deductions with 21 points this year. So it was... Their problems are more off the field than on it for entering administration and breaching financial rules earlier in the season and uh, also have been under a, a transfer embargo as well. So uh, he's basically been powerless, powerless Wayne Rooney, so can't be blamed really for Derby County going down. So yeah, they're the interesting uh, stories of, of the weekend for me. So we'll take a short break and obviously no one wanting to, to call in this morning and maybe back to work this morning or maybe... Uh, fed up talking uh, sport. It's 9.41 here on SENZ. Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
It is 9.46 here on SENZ in the mornings as we head through to uh, 10 o'clock. Just prior to 10 o'clock, we'll have uh, a multi-opportunity for you. Not going too good at the, uh, at the moment. I'm just trying to think where it went wrong at the weekend. Probably everywhere, really, to be fair. Uh, but we've uh, got one uh, coming in, uh, which will end up with about $4.26 with some sport happening in the next 24 hours. Uh, this Olympic uh, marathon runner, <coughs> excuse me, Perez uh, Chip Churchill, Edged a thrilling sprint finish to win the w- women's Boston Marathon as fellow Kenyan Evan Shabet dominated Stellarfield to claim the men's title. I mean, that's one of the stone cold certainties, isn't in life really? Uh, death taxes and uh, the Kenyans winning marathons, but it's just incredible. Um, with one mile remaining, Chip Churchill moved ahead of uh, Ababel Yashana from the uh, the Ethiopian, refused to bow and retook the lead before uh, the pair battled down the final stretch. Uh, this girl was uh, quite incredible. Um, she is now uh, having picked up uh, the Olympic gold along with the Boston and the New York titles being regarded, this is Jeff Churchill, as one of the greatest uh, women uh, marathon runners uh, of all time. And Shabet picked up his first major victory in two hours, six minutes and 51 seconds with uh, compatriots uh, Lawrence Chirono and Benson Capruto uh, second and third. So that was uh, the result of the, the Boston Marathon held over the weekend as well. So... Uh, interesting too, I, I just see, and this will be an ongoing one too, Logan, for me, because uh, the uh, Red Sox uh, have confirmed that, um, this is baseball of course, um, multiple unvaccinated players will not travel to Toronto, I thought this is uh, died a death this thing, uh, but for upcoming Major League games against the Blue Jays, uh, your team, they will not um, uh, be sending unvaccinated players because uh, they have a rule still with the Canadian government, which requires visitors to have received a second COVID-19 vaccine dose at least 14 days prior to entry. So uh, that means they're taking out most of their pitching staff and uh, quite a few others. The Red Sox have a five or record, a five and five record at the moment, um, asking to, uh, the coach was asked, uh, Cora, uh, if, if he was uh, about Alex Cora, this is whether he's expecting more players to pull out. He simply said, yeah, simple as that. So... Uh, how does that apply also to, uh, I guess that applies to uh, NHL as well, surely? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's all sport, really, whether it's MLS, NHL, NBA, uh, the lot. I mean, it's just, that's the rules that the Canadian government have in place. I mean, you sort of think about the way New Zealand sort of approach things uh, in that cautious regard. Canada has been much the same, uh, but to if some players have, you know, received one dose but not the other, I just, I mean, personally, I don't understand why you wouldn't just get the second. I mean, there's probably a myriad of reasons why they haven't done that, Smithy. But uh, if you don't play those games, I believe, and in some instances, they don't get paid as well. They they forego their salary, so that's money that you're losing out of the pocket. And I mean. Yeah, personal stances aside, surely that is something you have to consider. But it's just going to be this ongoing thing, Smithy. It's not just going to be the Red Sox and it's all the other teams that come in and out of uh, Canada. They just have to consider it and make changes. And obviously it affects lineups and the way you sort of field your your team out there on the field or on the pitch or on the diamonds per se with the Boston Red Sox. So it's just something that teams are going to have to plan for if it's going to stay this way. Mm, I thought it was uh, a sort of a dying thing, to be fair, um, but obviously not. I thought, uh, I think it was, a, uh, was it Kyle Lowry, or one of those players anyway in the NBA, just refused to get uh, vaccinated and 
uh, because of that reason. Of course, he wasn't able to play very often. But Kyrie anyway, Irving. That's Kyrie Irving. That was it, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. Uh, homecoming for the Phoenix, 18,000 fans uh, turned up, but uh, disappointing results. That was from Michael. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that was – what is wrong there? That's nine, nine um, unanswered goals I've conceded uh, to that side. Nine unanswered goals um, by the Central Coast Mariners. So the Phoenix have certainly got a, a massive issue there. Uh, John says, uh, comes in and says, I'm a union supporter. Watched probably two games of year, uh, year of league. Decided to watch the Warriors on Sunday. Man, they were shafted by the Aussies in the bunker. I feel sorry for them. Uh, Mike says, I'm a long-term blue supporter and love the long-awaited win. But let's be honest, their last quarter form was typical and they were lucky. We'll take it, but more smarts improvement needed across the board. I must say we hopped in the car after the game. That was uh, one of the things that uh, the other guys were talking about as I was listening in and they're just talking about the fact that uh, all of a sudden the Blues just um, just lost the confidence their ability to hold the ball and started to kick it back to the Crusaders. Uh, and once they, of course, you, you give the, the Crusaders the opportunity with ball in hand, they, you kick it down the throat of someone like um, Will Jordan um, or, you know, those counter-attacking backs, Sever Reese, etc. You open yourselves up to be under a lot of pressure and in the end uh, they could have been left ruined uh, if they had some speed out wide in the corner, they could have been left ruining the fact that they gave them that many opportunities to get back in the game. But I, I think in the context of it, uh, over if you look at it in terms of uh, a spectacle and you look at it over the course of 80 minutes, uh, the, the Crusaders would have been desperately lucky to get out of it. The Blues were probably the better side. I think everyone uh, agreed that they were, but they've still got, still got their failings. And, and of course, uh, all eyes... Uh, as tends to be the case, as was uh, on Roger Tuivasa-Shek entering the game, but he came on uh, at a period of time where they just kept kicking the ball away and all he could do was defend, really. So we didn't really get an opportunity to see Roger Tuivasa-Shek. I think he made a had ball in hand once. The rest of the time he meant uh, tackling and cover defending. Um, so <coughs> that's the side of the game uh, that um, you know we still have to see Roger Tuivasa-Shek with a quality side with ball in hand, creating opportunities. We weren't able to see that. Uh, when we come back shortly, we'll have a, a multi heading into 10 o'clock. Loads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, let's uh, look at uh, the one that we took over the weekend. Canberra Raiders to beat the Cowboys didn't happen. And boy, Ricky Stewart wasn't a happy chap at the end of it. What was he saying about the Raiders? None of them deserve to be basically playing uh, in the NRL Premier League. So uh, he gets a little bit uh, terse and surly. That's why I like him as a coach. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. uh, Never left. Uh, uncertain as the way that Ricky Stewart feels about things. So there was that one. Spurs to beat Brighton. That didn't happen. Spurs, they just make you... Honestly, they're the hardest team to follow in British football because when they look like uh, they're going to excite you and do something wonderful, they turn around and lose to a side like Brighton. Uh, Crusaders to beat the Blues. Well, that didn't happen either. Atlanta Hawks to beat Charlotte. That did happen. So one out of four. Ian, that is disgraceful. Totally unacceptable. So... Uh, let's see if we can come up with something to start this shortened week a wee bit better. 
Golden State Warriors this afternoon to beat uh, Denver Nuggets at a buck 32. Playoff mode, and everyone's pretty serious about their basketball at the moment. Um, I think a little bit of IPL tonight uh, with the Royal Challengers. Uh, Bangalore to beat Lucknow, the new franchise, one of the two new franchises. I think uh, Mike Hessen's got Bangalore going pretty well. Uh, that's a buck 69. We'll take that. And in the A League tonight uh, as well, we've got Western United to beat MacArthur. Uh, at a dollar ninety-one, so uh, that, if it's successful, and we hope it is, will realise the grand sum of four dollars twenty-six per one-dollar unit. As always, we advise you to bet responsibly when it comes to that. And if that was the case, you probably wouldn't be following my tips. Um, that, maybe that comes under the window of betting sensibly. Okay, uh, we'll have uh, Jacob Spoonley after the break. Uh, we're coming up to the news at ten o'clock with Araha. Stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The unique side of two goalkeepers leading the two sides out into the Wellington sunshine. Oliver Sale has the armband for the Wellington Phoenix. Mark Berrigetti for the Central Coast Mariners. Home again, say Yellow Fever. It is good to be back. And they have turned out in massive numbers today to support their side. returns to Sky Stadium for the first time in 330 days. We were last here on the 22nd of May last year when the Phoenix beat Western United 3-0 and Joshua Soterio doesn't mind to look at it in the first 10 seconds. No one gets more excited uh, about football, does he? And uh, Jason Pine, Pine just absolutely loves it. Uh, lead commentator there for Sky Sport. As uh, the Phoenix uh, marched out into the Wellington sunshine, it was uh, a wonderful sight. 18,000 fans uh, made their way into the stadium for the first time in over 300 days. The flags were flying, the yellow fever voice was high as they welcomed home uh, their beloved football team. Uh, And while going down 4-0 to the Central Coast Mariners, it wasn't quite the homecoming result the Phoenix would have hoped for, uh, I'm sure to most of them. Uh, certainly when they walked out anyway, it must have felt pretty good to be home. We're just trying to get uh, Jacob Spoonley on the line. Uh, hopefully uh, we can do that very shortly um, because it's a, it's a homecoming, certainly worth talking about. Uh, great moments. Uh, they wanted to obviously go a good deal better than they did, but uh, clearly they've uh, got an issue uh, against the Central Coast Mariners because uh, they have, uh, in the last two games... Uh, conceded nine unanswered goals to the side. Uh, so they have uh, had three really poor results out of their last uh, four of the Phoenix. Um, so they've got issues to talk about. Uh, thankfully, we've got uh, Jacob Spoonley on the line. Uh, Jacob, uh, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Uh, special occasion when they walked out, but then after that point, uh, from that point onwards, it didn't go so well yesterday. No, morning, Smithy. Morning, everybody. It, um, it was a compelling first. 10 minutes, mate, they started like the house on fire. And then there was a bit of a knife edge moment uh, when David Ball went through on birthday boy Mark Berrigetti. And uh, the birthday cake candles were still very much um, alive after that. And then Central Coast went down the other end and scored through Benny Incololo, who was fantastic on the day. And that's where the game really turned. The Phoenix aren't designed or capable uh, coming from a goal behind. And we saw that play out yet again this season. So... I think it would have been different had David Ball put that ball in the back of the net, but um, that's for another day. And uh, from there, the wheels 
really did kind of fall off and Central Coast showed why they are uh, a bit of a threat this season, albeit one from outside the top six at the moment. That's nine unanswered goals in the last two meetings against the Central Coast Mariners. So, I mean, you look at that and you just say it's uh, the problems are quite clear. Um, it's defensive, but then again, uh, zero scorelines. They are. They're very generous scorelines. Um, and I think I see said it probably best. They're, they're simply a bad matchup for the Phoenix. So you look at it and you say, well, the Phoenix have got the ascendancy in terms of table position, but um, Central Coast with Cummings and Kalola, Morash, Muller, um, playing a 4-2-4 and playing more of a basketball style, a lot of transitional football. That's what the Phoenix don't like. And um, with the Phoenix being such a patchwork team at the moment, particularly without the likes of Josh Laws to provide that defensive solidity um, with uh, Wooten, and then also having Lewis and Rufa at the heart of your midfield, the screeners in front of that back four out, um, you can understand that Central Coast were able to drive a stake at the heart of this patchwork um, defence that the Phoenix are putting out at the moment. So that, for me, was really the large problem. Why aren't they a, a, a side that's capable of overcoming an early setback? I think it's because the way in which Tale sets them up. So they like to control the game. Um, they, they like to keep the ball in position. They want to be awkward and force the opponent back deep um, when they do have the ball. Um, but I just, at the moment, because of the lack of personnel and because of that way that they, they, don't, they don't really favour the transitional style too much, um, I think that means that they just don't have that ability. So they need to stay in the, um, the confrontation. They need to make it an arm wrestle. Um, and I think it's largely the manifestation of the way in which Tully sets them up. The other thing that looks uh, interesting too is that they have an issue perhaps performing in games when they're favoured against teams that are slightly below them on the table. So they enter games as favourites. Oh, I love it. Absolutely, Smitty. That's, um, I think it's a really, really interesting point. So they are able to elevate their game and, and they do wear the underdog label really well. Unfortunately, um, I'd say kind of like we've seen with the all-whites at times. Um, when they are favoured or they do have the edge of the opponent, then they don't have that ability to be really authoritative. Um, I don't think we will see that repeated this weekend, though. I think um, Western Sydney, uh, the Phoenix should match up a lot better against them, and um, we will hopefully see Josh Laws back, which means that you do have the ability to then play Tim Payne at right back or in that defensive midfield. So you provide that physical destructive element um, into a really key position for the Phoenix. And then you can play Sandoval and Piscopo uh, and Ball in their preferred positions um, in the system. So that gives you this ability um, to match up a lot better against Western Sydney before you even step out onto the field. So we'll see how Josh Laws goes this week. Hopefully we also see Clayton Lewis returning before the end of the season and Gary Hooper, we understand, is ahead of schedule, which is a real surprise because we saw, thought initially that might be him done with the Phoenix. So with those three... Um, horses returning to the track I think the Phoenix do improve significantly uh, going into the end of the season So 18,000 people they're declaring uh, were you impressed with the crowd were you expecting uh, a little bit more perhaps having been starved of football action for so long with the Phoenix I, look, I think it would have been nice to go close to the 24,000 a lot of effort was put into this homecoming um, and it was great to see so many Wellingtonians out there enjoying such a wonderful day. Um, 
I think it was unfortunate that the game fell on Easter weekend, so you do take a bit of a discount with everyone going away on holiday. Um, that being said, um, it was a wonderful afternoon, and um, I do want being in Auckland this Smithy to see Auckland go close, if not surpass that this weekend. That would be uh, that would be something nice that I can hold over Jason Pine in the comms box. Now, wouldn't it be nice? Uh, yeah, to stop Piney crowing, but it's a, it's a, it's not a bad sound to be fair, Piney crowing because he's such a damn enthusiast and he does such. You're you're a pretty good combo. I I I think it's fair to say as well. Uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, Jacob, what are we expecting there so. out of them? Uh, as uh, what are we expecting out of them as a unit? Um, as a unit, mate, they are probably the most. Um disappointing outfit in the A-League this season. I don't say that in terms of the way in which they've played. They've put on some really good matches. This is a team that should be up there in the top four. They are backed by some wonderfully um, invested, uh, not in terms of resource, but interest um, people. They have been a threat since they came into the A-League and they are just underperforming at the moment. So for Phoenix fans, um, there's not only that... Uh, in the back of the minds that we should take all three points just off that alone. It's more to do with the fact that you've got an inbuilt pantomime villain. Uh, so the Central Coast Mariners became the villain over the course of the 90 minutes, but Mark Rudan is going to mean that there's extra motivation for the Phoenix fans more than anything. Um, and they don't have that determination that Central Coast had. There was a desperation with Central Coast on the weekend. They needed to pick up 12 of the last 15 points to get to the 39-point threshold um, that was the top six last year. So um, they had a real motivation, which potentially was overlooked. Western Sydney do not have that. And the other promising factor for Phoenix fans is that we have seen the Phoenix bounce back time and again this season. They have simply refused to let this season go. The staff and the players know that they are slightly probably under-resourced, but they are not going to let that um, dissuade them from making a play for the top six, if not the top four. So we saw that against Western United. Um, they bounced back. In, uh, that was a bounce-back game that they had. We saw them pick up points against Perth. They also put three away against Brisbane Raw after conceding a lot the week before. So in terms of those kind of almost bipolar swings that we have seen from the Phoenix um, this season, I think we have every chance of seeing another one this weekend. So for me, uh, of interest, I mean, if I was, uh, for a lot of these players, of course, uh, playing in front of a New Zealand crowds, so that was a, an absolute first. So I, I guess they got a taste to the level of support for the franchise in this country. And I, I just want, as you say, Auckland, it's so important they front up at Eden Park as well, because we're looking at, uh, you know, I think they're looking at the makings of, of quite a competitive squad. I mean, they're, they're definitely uh, playoff contenders, there's no doubt about that. Um, and also, I imagine there's players sort of making up their mind about what they're going to do in the future, I would imagine. And it would be nice to think that they get a great example, both at uh, Wellington and Eden Park, just that if they do play at home, and of course next year they will be playing on a more regular basis, they will get a genuine level of support. Absolutely, Smitty. And let's not um, look too far afield at the moment, although you're completely right in saying that once we get that reset next season, this is the level of support that you guys can expect because I think we've been very unfortunate and for me this is, if not the, one of the best Phoenix sides in the club's history. So the fact that they've played overseas um, for the majority of Tully's tenure has been um, you know, a frustrating thing. Um, that being said, if we do see a win this weekend and we see 
the Phoenix pick up for me another six points off their um, last nine, which isn't um, which isn't uh, impossible given that they play Western Sydney again, and they also play Victory, who although they're, they're a fantastic team, Pele does seem to um, have the edge on Popovich in terms of setting up the team structure. So I think we could be looking at another home game now. If Auckland wants to roll out and make a case potentially for um, being the venue for a home semi-final, then they should absolutely pack out Eden Park this weekend. I mean, obviously the natural home for the Phoenix is Wellington, um, and David Doan wants to repay the Wellington faithful. But Auckland, Auckland needs to demonstrate its support. It needs to appreciate these boys who have sacrificed so much um, for the club, for Football New Zealand, um, over the last two seasons. Uh, so this is our opportunity to pay them back. Uh, aside from that, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on where you think um, the All Whites are in terms of their preparation uh, for Costa Rica. What do we know about Costa Rica? What are what are our chances? Uh, do you think of making the big the big dance this time around? Well, this is big boy football now, Smithy. We're ninety minutes away from a World Cup, and I think the all-white side, um, they've done well putting together a schedule. Um, they've played um, teams that have meant that they can prepare for this World Cup qualifying series. Uh, I know that there are preparations in place for um, the all-whites heading into the game against Costa Rica. It'll be interesting to see um, ultimately who they do play against. Um, what, what will need to be overcome in those warm-up games is getting the boys ready for the fact that there are no excuses, there are there are no um, there'll be no ability to respond. There's no second chances in this Costa Rica game, and that's the big thing that I think um, the team needs to be ready for. They need to be ready for a confrontation that'll go the full 90 minutes, an arm wrestle that if you give an inch, you'll need to win that back um, twofold. So. Uh, we've got a great generation coming through. They are still players that are cutting their teeth professionally. A lot of the squad is still under the age of 24. So we'll need to rely on the experience of the likes of Reed and Wood. Uh, and that'll need to be complemented by some really fantastic cameos. The big thing for me, though, Smithy, is you've only, I'm assuming you've only got a squad of 23. Danny's played with the 30-odd players for the World Cup qualifiers. We've seen the likes of Ryan Thomas starting to return to football. So if he gets fit, he's definitely in the conversation because he's that player that will provide you with additional experience, even if it's in the squad, not necessarily the starting eleven. Marco Rojas hasn't been included in the World Cup qualifying squad. Costa Barbarousas was there and looked so sharp. So you've got these headaches all over the shop for Danny to start thinking about, not necessarily who he takes, but who he doesn't take is a massive question. Mm, interesting. Oh, well, uh, good problems, though, perhaps, uh, rather than who to find. I mean, you know, uh, I think he'd probably rather be in, in that boat, and we're talking about a, a, a really important one-off as well, not just a, a tournament as such. He can look further afield if he, he gets past that hurdle. Uh, Jacob, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, look forward to your call uh, at Eden Park this weekend, and may Auckland turn up in their numbers and gazump the 18,000, get up towards 25,000, 30,000. That'll be pretty cool. Oh, there's space at Eden Park, Smithy, mate. Yeah, absolutely, we can fill that one out. And I'm saying that, and that's targeted directly at Jason Pine. I'm saying we as an Aucklander, mate. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can have the biggest crowd of the season. Third largest last week. Auckland can push for at least the second or the first.
Good on you, mate. Always great to catch up. I love your enthusiasm uh, and your background knowledge as well. Thank you very much, Jacob, uh, for your time. Cheers, Smitty. Appreciate it. Have a good day, mate. Cheers. All the best, yeah. Same to you. Uh, we've got a panel coming up uh, very shortly, folks, uh, and that will be discussing a number of matters. We haven't even mentioned uh, the Black Ferns as yet. Uh, we've got uh, Ollie Ritchie and Brad Lewis coming in to us on the panel very shortly. I mean, okay, so Glenn Moore's gone. So who the hell's going to coach? Who is going to coach the Black Ferns now that they've lost their head coach? I mean, we're only talking uh, months away from a World Cup. Got problems or what? Uh, it's 10.18. 10.18 here on SENZ. Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. here on SENZ and it is panel time and this morning uh, Ollie Ritchie and Brad Lewis uh, are with us. So uh, Ollie, I'd like to start with you on a couple of uh, rugby matters. So Glenn Moore's stepped down, um, just uh, heading into Easter. So we've had three or four days to digest that. Uh, Do we have an obvious successor, do we, uh, waiting in the wings? Um, And if if it isn't, uh, is it as simple as this? I mean, my understanding is that uh, Wayne Smith, since he's been around the team, has pretty much been running the cutter anyway. So why don't they just just say Wayne Smith, head coach for the World Cup? Yeah, um, morning, morning, Smithy. Morning to you, Brad, as well. Um, look, that would make uh, a lot of sense, uh, wouldn't it, Smithy? Like you say, he's very involved uh, in that team already. Um, you know, they don't call him the professor for no reason. He has one of the best rugby minds in this country. Um, and what a great chance as well to get maybe a couple of female assistants underneath Wayne Smith for that period as well. Take them through to the World Cup. It means they don't have the pressure of leading uh, the Black Ferns and being in charge of the Black Ferns uh, through to the World Cup. That still falls with Wayne Smith, but a great development opportunity for there to set the Black Ferns up uh, a little bit better for the future. So absolutely, um, Wayne Smith is one of the names thrown around. Alan Bunting uh, is another one that I understand and New Zealand rugby have been talking to. Nothing is set in stone there. Um, you know, his record speaks for itself, really, doesn't it? Amazing success uh, with the Blackburn Sevens, but I think it's really the way he galvanised that team and introduced uh, the importance of culture and the importance of, of a good environment into that team to help them on the field. Um, that seems to be what the, the Blackburns are missing, certainly what the re- review suggested was missing. So uh, Alan Bunting, another name that could come in there in some sort of, uh, capacity as well, not necessarily as a, as a head coach, but uh, maybe just to look after the culture and environment aspects of things um, moving forward to the World Cup. So, what now for for Glenn Moore? What is what will be his legacy? Um, you know, it, it appears he's been painted pretty much as a villain here, um, but I'm not sure if you went around the whole Black Fern squad, um, it would be unanimous that they feel good in him going. No, I, I don't think so either, Smitty. And I think, you know, um, unfortunately for Glenn, his tenure with the Black Ferns will be tarnished by this. Um, you know, when you look up more in the future, um, you know, there'll always be uh, that review that, that hangs over his tenure, which is unfortunate because he was a very successful Black Ferns coach. Um, you know, up until last year's Northern Tour, they maintained pretty much a 90% winning record. They'd won 21 out of the last 24 matches leading into the Northern Tour. Um, You know, won 
a World Cup in 2017. So, you know, he was a very good coach. Unfortunately, um, you know, he is part of this review that will will now likely tarnish uh, his legacy. Interesting, looking back over that review, though, Smitty, uh, the name or the words Glenn Moore mentioned once, uh, words like culture and environment uh, mentioned, you know, in excess of 40 times. So clearly, uh, it can't all just fall uh, to Glenn Moore's shoulders here. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I, I kind of feel a bit sorry for him. I, um, I'm not part of the Black Ferns group. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't know what really goes on. I can only read between the lines and, and uh, just read reviews, etc. like most people can, Ollie, but I... I kind of feel a, a little, little bit sorry for the guy. Yeah, and, and you know, speaking to him the other day, um, uh, you, you got that impression as well. You know, he, he, um, in his mind, was was coaching these guys and dealing with these guys in the same way that he that he always has in his six and a half years. Um, you know, unfortunately, it just sort of spiraled a little, little, little bit um, out of control towards the end of it. But you know, that was. To put his viewpoint of the situation, um, and you know, we we hope that she's you know since received the help that that she needs and that she deserves because she's been a very good servant of, of New Zealand rugby over a number of years. Um, but it does feel like Tim Morrison made a little bit of a scapegoat um, for some of this stuff, for some of these issues, which are cle- clearly deeper issues within the women's game uh, that New Zealand rugby also haven't addressed. You know, it sat under community rugby for a lot. Uh, a lot of that period. It's only just moved into the high-performance environment. So that's not Glenn Moore's fault. In a way, he can only deal um, with the hand that he's got. And, you know, that said, under community rugby, they were semi-professional. No one uh, was on full-time contracts for a lot of Glenn Moore's tenure in charge there. Um, so a lot of the issues coming out of the Black Ferns environment and stemming from this review are much deeper issues. Just the coaching of Glenn Moore and the handling of the situation uh, with Takuda. Yep, very interesting indeed. It's uh, coming up to 10.30. Uh, Brad, uh, we're trying to get hold of Brad. He's just dropped off the line, so we've got a bit of a technical issue getting hold of him. So you're the lone ranger at the moment, Ollie. I'll give your voice a bit of a breather <laughs> while we go to the news. Uh, when, we, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about some of these red cards and the punishment, etc., because they're starting to be uh, a weekly reason for chatting, aren't they? So uh, we'll talk about that very uh, shortly with Ollie Ritchie, in the meantime, let's uh, head to the news with Araha. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah. 10.31, part two of the panel. Uh, we weren't able to get hold of uh, Brad Lewis this morning, so uh, like a Trojan, like a Trojan, Sam has stepped in. Of course, uh, he's just uh, out the back getting ready for his show with staff this afternoon. So uh, before we get back into the red cards, uh, a lot of whinging and moaning, Sam, um, around about the Warriors and uh, how they were hard done by yet again. We hear this uh, probably five times a season, and it reared its head again over the weekend. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm a big uh, fan of conspiracy theory, Smithy, so I uh, I love to hear what Warriors fans come up with when uh, when they're talking about the referees. I, I don't sort of buy into the idea that the Waff- uh, that the Warriors are more hard done by than anyone else because there's always you know, criticism of NRL referees after every weekend. The the thing that I do qu- qu- um, find quite interesting was the comments that were made a couple of weeks ago about how um, top sides are refereed 
you know, more lenient in the bottom sides, um, naturally by human emotion. You know, a top team you think is up the top because they play good rugby league and, you know, they don't, they are well disciplined. And that's just sort of um, human nature that comes into the referee's thinking. So, look, there were three really, really bad calls for me uh, in the game. And, and, it really comes down to consistency. You know, the, the Adam Fanua Blake challenge where um, Angus Crichton's hands all over the ball, the, the, the rationale was that there was no stripping motion, despite the guy having his hand on the ball or on his arm while he was trying to put the ball down. Then five minutes later, Adam Pompey's leg, the ball gets played on his leg and that gets called as a penalty. Well, there's no stripping motion there. There's no stripping motion from his foot. So, you know, there's, there's inconsistency across even just one game, which um, becomes very frustrating. And then, of course, there was the Reese Walsh um, over the trial line, which is potentially 50-50, but I think Warriors fans can feel aggrieved. And uh, the, the pass to um, Daniel Tupou in that first try for the Roosters was so far ahead of him, he had to catch it with one hand full stretch. So how the referee standing directly in line with him can't see that, well... I'll never know. Smithy, I felt the Warriors were hard done by because I thought they actually played good rugby league. And I thought, you know, surprisingly, um, you know, against people's expectations, um, matched it with the Roosters, who, you know, many are p- picking as a top four side. Ollie Ritchie, do you believe in conspiracy theories? Oh, it depends what the theory is, Smithy, to be honest. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, if it involves the Warriors, I don't believe it. But, um, yeah, I think, I think they were certainly hard done by on a few of those calls. Okay, let's look at um, uh, the other issue which has uh, been talked about and the punishments have been dished out this morning and I'm talking about red cards uh, in the Super Rugby competition over the weekend. Oh, Ollie, for you all justified? Oh, completely justified. Uh, completely justified and frankly I think Scott Barrett can count himself lucky he's only got four weeks. Um, you know, he's got history with this. Um, you know, Cassie mind back a couple of years to Perth, he did the exact same thing. Um, got sent off in the first half of that. So um, I, I thought that might be closer to the five, six-week mark um, for, for Scott Barrett. You know, Josh Dixon and Asafo Amor, both, both the same. This is, this is just getting quite ridiculous now, isn't it? Uh, what, what more do these players need to do to get it through their heads that that, that is a retard and a suspension every day of the week? Um, we're just seeing it time and time again the same incidents shoulder to the head once again shoulder to the head shoulder to the head red card and you know where's the deterrence here uh, because the 20 minute rule uh, is clearly not working um, you know I've seen some suggestions that maybe a fine needs to come into it maybe your team is docked competition points something like that um, would be a good idea because these players are just not getting it through their heads at the moment Okay, um, does Sam, I wonder if uh, the word intent uh, is brought in here because some, when you, you can see sometimes players get lined up and uh, they get, uh, you know, that there are, it's quite clear that there is an intent there uh, to single someone out and, and to nail them. Mm. Uh, every now and then you just get caught in an uncompromising position uh, where you almost can't get out of it um, because perhaps you're not the original tackler, maybe... Uh, you are the second player and you're actually having to react to something's just happened fractionally in front of you. Um, uh, mitigating, they call it mitigating circumstances. Could you see any mitigating circumstances over the weekend? Well, just firstly, um, I thought Ollie made some great points there. I mean, I'm going to go against him, but only because of, um, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, um, Smithy, I think I asked the question to Justin Marshall, you know, are 
is it on the players to, to, to get better, you know, as Ollie said, and get the message and, and start playing better? Or, or do we just need to realise that rugby is, this is just the game? This, you have these areas of contact where these sorts of incidents happen exactly like you just mentioned. Sometimes, you know, a player's falling or it's a split-second decision. Now, don't get me wrong, there were incidences and there have been incidences that do, I think, the responsibility needs to be on the players. Like Scott Barrett, you, you're going high, leading with your shoulder. You are asking for trouble. I don't care whether you're slipping, whether the guy's been tackled. If, you, if you're going in like that, then that's poor technique and you deserve to be punished. But there are other instances where it is very much accidental, Smithy, and I think it's it's and just an unfortunate byproduct of a game that is inherently physical. That the whole point of the game is to hit guys hard. Um, and I'm not sort of going down the road of, you know, bring back the biff, as they say in the NRL. Um, but I but I think it, it's an incredibly difficult issue because, yeah, sometimes it, you, it's just unavoidable. Uh, Ollie, Richie, uh, Ian Foster wants to find his best team now and settle selections in key positions such as the midfield. Uh, this is going against the grain uh, somewhat for all black selectors who tend to wait till quite a, a long time into the Super Rugby competition, uh, even towards the end of it, before they start to formulate plans. So is this, a, um, is this part of the review, perhaps, that we've seen coming through? Well, I think it's part of the bigger picture with the All Blacks. Over the last few years, really, and, you, know, you, you rightfully mentioned the midfield uh, in that, um, we haven't had a, a, a clear first-choice midfield pairing since Mar Nono and, and Conrad Smith. You know, and, and they retired from the All Blacks back in 2015. So what I think we need to do is, is and you know, the Open Series will give us our first look at this, is, is keep players in those positions together to actually form those combinations that we know are going to be the ones that, if, you know, if we make the World Cup final next year, we know it'll be, you know, this is clearly our best midfield pairing to do that. Um, you know, and, and he'll he'll use a bit of Super Rugby to, to, to find that. But I think in, in his in his mind, he'll probably already know who it is. And the Anton Leonard Brown injury may have um, may have thrown a bit of a curveball uh, into that as well. But we need to we need to settle on, on that. We can't just be chopping and changing every single week, um, like we did, you know, with Bowden Barrett and Richie Moanga, where we wanted them both on the park for so long that. We were playing Bowden Barrett at fullback for all those games. Um, you know, we finally started to settle on Bowden Barrett as our as our first choice, first five. Um, we need to start doing the same thing uh, with those other key positions. I put the midfield in there. Uh, I would put our loose forward trio in there uh, as well. Um, you know, this is the year to do it because when it comes to the start of the international season next year, it's too late because the World Cup's months away. Certainly not, um, Sam, getting too much of an indication about RTS. Roger Tuovasa Shaki came on belatedly at the, the weekend and all he did was tackle because the Blues kept kicking the ball back to the Crusaders. So we're not really answering any questions there for RTS at this point. We're not. And, you know, there's two sides, two parts of me here, Smithy. One says um, I, I wouldn't put him in All Blacks jersey this year you know, based on form and what we've seen from some of the other midfielders um, throughout Super Rugby. But then the other part of me is that side that says, well, they've clearly he's clearly made the switch to rugby with the with the proviso that he's going to be an All Black or he's going to get pulled into the All Black setup, in which case 
you've got to get him in there and you've got to see what he's like in that environment um, and, and alongside some of these other guys. So, uh, yeah, it's sort of these two schools and, I, and I'm undecided, I guess, where I sit. I, I've been really impressed with some of the other guys. I mean, um, you know, um, Nankerville for the Chiefs has been amazing. I just, yeah, I'm really enjoying, um, I guess, that discussion around who that midfield's going to be. But I think you're right. We haven't really seen enough from Roger yet to suggest that, hey, he's, he's got to be there. He's got to be the starting um, 12 or 13. So, yeah, uh, big question marks still, Smithy. Uh, Ollie, this weekend, of course, the first of our trans-Tasman matchups were with our brothers across uh, the ditch. Um, wh- what do you, if you have a look at both competitions now, pretty hard to, to sort of uh, compare apples with oranges, and that's exactly what you're doing here because they look as if they're a little way apart. But you think that will be... The scores will reflect that, uh, and the and the concept too, uh, the concept Ollie of uh, playing them all in one particular venue. Well, if we start on that concept, I think it's good. I like the concept. Um, I think it's you know we've seen the NRL do it successfully with the Magic Round um, for a while now, and I think it's those sorts of initiatives um, that are going to be good for Super Rugby, and it's going to drive um, hopefully drive interest. Uh, back into it, I, I don't mind it at all. I think, yeah, things like Super Rounds are, are good concepts, and and you know it's good to see um, the Super Rugby Competitions Committee essentially looking or thinking outside the square and, and thinking about how to promote the game in a different way. Um, I think for the most part, it will be pretty one-sided from what I've seen um, out of the Australian side of the competition at the moment. They are some way behind, but in saying that, teams like the Brumbies have have shown that um, they have really good skill set right across the board um, and you know they played the Highlanders this week who have struggled so far in Super Rugby with just the one win so you'd like to think uh, that that is a game that could go the way uh, of the Brumbies you know same with the Reds and the Hurricanes you know the Reds uh, I think are the second best Australian team at the moment I, um, you know I think that the Hurricanes are better than what we've seen from them uh, in the competition so far but that's another game that could go um, the way of the Reds and then you look at games like Moana Pacifica and the Force you know, who knows which way that could go because, you know, Moana Pacifica have only been tested against the might uh, of the New Zealand franchises so far. So against a weaker Australian uh, opposition, you know, we could see Moana Pacifica thrive in that sort of game as well. I think it's really important that the Australian teams, and we've, we've read all this and we've said all this before, they must be competitive. You know, they kicked up a stink a couple of years ago when we only wanted three Australian teams and they demanded... You know, Rugby Australia, that is demanded they have all five. Well, you know, now it's time to walk the walk. Show us why you deserve five teams in this competition. You think we'll blank them, Sam, at the weekend, or will we slip up somewhere? (sighs) That's a good question, Smithy. Um, I think we'll blank them. But I do think that at some point um, that they'll pick up a couple of a couple of wins, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if if you know it's uh, it's sort of two New Zealand teams, two Australian teams in that top four at the end. So, but I think this weekend, I think just coming off you know the hard games that the New Zealand teams have played against each other, they've just got that little bit more, I guess, hardened um, game experience. And I think yeah, I think we're we're a shot for for a clean record this weekend. You know, the game that really interests me the most, Ollie, out of the whole lot, Moana Pacifica against the Force. Now that that's mm. for me, that's a nice indicator game. That's a really good indicator game for me. Yeah, like yeah, you rightfully say that'll be um, that'll be a really interesting um, watch. That you know, were Moana Pacifica harshly judged because they've had to, to measure themselves against 
um, you know, those dominant Kiwi oppositions where, where they've struggled apart from that one against the Hurricanes. You know, we'll get a, probably a better indication uh, of the progress that they're making under Aaron Major. Um, I, it might be a little bit concerning if, if the force wiped them off the park, um, you know, because... I don't see the force picking up any wins uh, against New Zealand opposition. I say the same for the Rebels as well. Um, so, you know, if we start to see that become a little bit one-sided, that could be concerning. But you're absolutely right. I think that'll be a really good measure that game. And I, um, you know, if you're a betting, if you're a betting man, I'd, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you've done Smithy's multi yet, but um, you know, maybe more on a Pacifica one to twelve could be something to include. Might be something to look forward to on Friday. Uh, Ollie Ritchie, thanks very much for your lion-hearted effort this morning and Sam for jumping in at the last minute uh, due to technical difficulties. It didn't diminish the quality of the panel, I promise you, Sam, <laughs> and I thank you very much for that. Um, we'll, we'll have another one tomorrow morning and uh, we'll take a short break and when we come back I've got some texts to read out uh, and then before 11 o'clock we'll talk to Louie about racing and a visit to the TAB. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.50 here on SENZ and uh, Steve has come in with a, an interesting text. Morning, Smithy. I don't know if you saw the Glenn Moore interview on TV1 News, but I'm absolutely gutted for the guy basically resigning to protect his family from what seems to be twisted truth by the player involved who ironically now is being portrayed as a hero. You can't tell me gender isn't part of the battle. Female against middle-aged man, only one person with a chance of winning that. I think what he has done for women's rugby should be commended. Steve, I think that's one of the sad things about it, uh, and you've hit it on the head, is uh, what he has achieved with his side is now clearly being overlooked. And, and I feel also feel sorry that uh, personal pressure that's gone on him at family level, etc., has been influential as well in him making this decision. Um, I, I don't think he could have gone back into the environment anyway with the, the damning report, uh, the number of issues that had to be fixed. I do not believe he would have felt comfortable there. And I think as a head coach, you've got to feel, you've got to feel comfortable uh, in your environment. You've got to feel as if you're in charge, don't you? Anthony's come in and said, Hi, Smithy, does this mean males cannot coach a women's sports team? Can they be told off or told to do something that the coach wants in a firm manner? Anthony, the rules are changing. There's no doubt about that. If I was coaching or being asked to coach, uh, head coach of a women's sports team, I certainly would have like to have influential women in management around me. So I knew what my, um, my boundaries were. Uh, I knew exactly where I could tread and I couldn't because at the moment it seems like there's a hell of a lot of eggshells around any particular job in that area. Just my way of thinking, but uh, you've got to be protected in this. You've got to be so careful, uh, and this has just highlighted it even more. Uh, than it has been highlighted in the past. 10.51 here on SENZ. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Joined by Louis Herman Watt as we uh, quickly take a, a look back um, at uh, the uh, last of the Group 1s for the racing season, the New Zealand Thoroughbred Breeders' Stakes at Tarapa last Saturday on a new track, uh, which looked uh, pretty acceptable to everyone concerned. Uh, Louis, and it was quite appropriate, I guess, that uh, Opie Boston and Tiako had the last say. 
Yeah, Opie's last group one. Now he's got the full set. Can you believe that, Smithy? Like when we talk about this mm. guy, is, is he's a great man. He's literally won every thoroughbred group one you can win in New Zealand. So, but when I hear pantheons of great New Zealand athletes that are currently still doing it, applying their trade, I don't want to hear one without Opie Boston because it's actually a joy to watch him. He struggles with his weight, but the way he just guided and nursed Imperatrice to the line was so, so, so classical of the way he's gone about it his whole career. He is a genius on top. Uh, he's a very good man. He's a passionate man about racing and his farm and his family. And huge congratulations to Opie Boston and Tiakio ending off with Imperatrice. She'll go off to Melbourne in the spring and she'll win a big race. She is a nice filly, Smithy. And it uh, looks like Opie will go to Brisbane for a while. Yeah, I think, and I think there's a chance Leith might go as well. We might see a couple of Kiwis up there. Sam Collard already up there. Good prize money and a big Kiwi for Brisbane Carnival. Sounds good. Uh, thanks very much for that quick uh, summation there, uh, Louis. Enjoy the rest of your day. BP joins us from the TA, Brendan Popwell, on a... Oh, I was going to say busy Monday, but of course it's Tuesday and there's a bit of playoff basketball, etc. going on too, BP. Certainly is, uh, Smithy. A very good morning to you. And what we can tell you uh, via the NBA is money for the 76ers. Uh, they've been very well played through our point start. Uh, we've had 2,000 on them uh, on the minus 2.5. We've also got money on Dallas. Now, this is an interesting one. Dallas to lead every quarter. $5,000 on that option at $7, if you don't mind, for a Tuesday afternoon. And we've also seen some money a little bit later on, Smithy, uh, in the Major League Baseball around the Dodgers at $1.42. I shall look forward to that. I will be watching the Dallas game right here and now. I can promise you that. Love a big bet, particularly when it's someone else's money. Thanks, BP. Uh, have a terrific day. Uh, look, it's uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ. And uh, after 11, we will be talking rugby league. Uh, not with Vossi. We've got uh, Lavina Good, who is outstanding, very opinionated, love this segment of the show, uh, and that'll be coming to us uh, after the news. This is now coming up with a slightly too opinionated lady, which I enjoy as well, in Araha. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. tackle what can Johnson dish up this time little inside ball for Walsh right up the middle somehow shrugged a tackle or two how's that for a kick remarkable for Wateni's Alesnia the winger fell over Reese Walsh that is wizardry from the fullback right up the middle he went and when all options were covered he dropped it on the left boot and said Dallin help yourself Ooh, help yourself indeed, uh, Dallin, and he did, and of course that was one of the bright notes and uh, what was a Warriors loss, 22-14 to the Roosters over the weekend, another performance which has been uh, dogged, I guess, by uh, moments that left the Warriors hand, uh, fans scratching their heads at the state of the officiating. Uh, just before we get on to the controversies, um, Lavina, good, good morning to you. Um, aside for the controversies, what did you make of the Warriors' performance overall. Good morning, Smitty. It's a gorgeous day in Taranga. The sun is shining. No rain. Beautiful here, mate. Do, do you believe me? No. no. I'm lying. <laughs> Hosing down. Hosing down like it is around the whole country. Um, I'm kind of glad that you asked me, Smitty, about my opinion on the Warriors game prior to the um, controversy because I actually don't think the Warriors played good enough to win that match against the Roosters. And 
I know we'll chat about a couple of calls that certainly went against them um, during pivotal moments of the match. But I really feel as though in the second half, uh, the Roosters were definitely on the front foot and not just because of a few calls from the referee. The, the referee or the bunker didn't decide who was going to win that game. It was a more determined outfit from the Roosters. I was really disappointed for the first time this year, um, not, not in terms of performance from the Warriors, but I think when they came out after halftime, they were a different side. They just um, There was no energy, there was no rhythm in their attack. And it didn't surprise me that, that they lost the match. So I was disappointed with their performance. And I guess it's an opportunity now for the Warriors fans to say, oh, yeah, but we were scored a try or we had a chance. But when you look at those two sides that played in that match, the Roosters were certainly a better team. And that's how come they ended up with the points. And I was really pleased to hear Nathan Brown's comments at the end of the game. Mm. He said uh, when a, a team's on the front foot, they get the calls that go their way. So he wasn't using the referees as an excuse. I know they're going to give Graham Annesley a call today, the head of refs, and sort of clarify a few of those decisions because it can just go to the bunker 50,000 times. And despite, you know, a $5 million bunker that has cameras for Africa to try and film what's going on, they often get it wrong. So that needs to be noted that... The Warriors were outclassed by a side in that second half, and that means the Roosters are in fifth place, and now the Warriors are out of that top eight in ninth place. Do they get it wrong, uh, the bunker, etc.? Do they get it wrong against the Warriors just a little bit too much for your liking? Yeah, I, I think I've got issues with the bunker in general. I've never been a massive fan of the bunker. I think that decision-wise it's, it's reflected poorly against a lot of teams and it's a, a lot of teams um, that, you know, fighting to get into that top four position that, that doesn't often go in their favour. So with the the amount of technology and the money that they've spent on that, they should be getting it right 100% of the time and they certainly don't. So I, I've questioned the bunker over the years and I think the Warriors get a hard time in the competition in general. We hardly ever have a M player of the year that's named or in a position, even though we've got some of those players in the competition and we're always going to be regarded as the poor cousins of the competition there to make up the numbers. Um, and without the Warriors throughout the COVID period, there'd be no NRL competition because it would be 15 teams instead of 16. So they owe the Warriors a lot, I think, the NRL. And I think the Warriors get a hard time, not just from the bunker, but in terms of player selection for representation and coverage. Um, that'll always happen for the Warriors. But on this particular occasion, Smitty, the Warriors did not play good enough to beat the Roosters with or without that decision from the bunker. And, I like Nathan Brown focusing on that. I like him saying, okay, dodgy decisions, you know, wasn't happy with it, but we came out, we lacked energy in the second half, we had no rhythm on attack, and that is the problem. That's what we need to address, rather than the Warriors of three or four years ago would have been, they ripped us off, we didn't get it, we could have won, could have beat the Roosters, that's not fair, that's not fair, and so the toys out the cot. That's not the attitude from the Warriors at this stage, so... I think they can take on board that they were defeated by a better side in the second half of that clash. They know what they did wrong, and they'll uh, certainly get back to the drawing board as the competition, you know, continues. But we spoke a couple of weeks ago, mate, about just how this competition yeah. is so fierce. And they hadn't come across the Melbourne Storm, the Penrith Panthers, the Eels, you know, they hadn't played the Roosters or the Bunnies, and that's all ahead of the Warriors. So they, they need to play rugby league, which is which is pretty clever, pretty smart, and also really neat and tidy. They can't afford to make mistakes and surrender possession and they have improved in the mistake side of things and the completion rate has improved tremendously over the past three or four weeks so they'll take a lot from that loss and better better to have that loss at this stage of the competition rather than maybe round 17 and 18 which has been the Warriors in the past well they're about to 
get their comeuppance if they don't improve because they have got the storm uh, for the Anzac Day clash. Um, that's uh, providing they can uh, get competitive and somehow stop Ryan Pappenhausen, uh, who is, whose form is just consistently amazing. They've got a forward in there, though, storm forward Felici Kofusi, who was re- replaced on report twice and walked away with a fine. So there is inconsistencies yeah. around the joint, I've got to say. But the, the storm, that, that's the next thing uh, on the agenda. What about that one? Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a mate yesterday about the footy and talking about the storm. And, you know, we talked about it last week, how they just keep creating these magnificent players, thanks to Craig Bellamy, that has that decent culture, can breed them and maintain them. And you think about Pappenhausen, at the moment, he's the best player in the competition and he's the best fullback, hands down. But State of Origin selection is just around the corner. The State of Origin will be played on June the 25th. And it wouldn't surprise me if he would not be donning that number one jersey. I mean, how are they going to take that off Teddy Tedesco? He's the captain of New South Wales and plays number one for the Roosters. And they won't take that off him. So what do they do with Pappenhausen, who is the best player at the moment in the NRL? Do they put him on a wing? Well, he's wasted on the wing. He plays out of position on the wing. That's not where he should be played. You put him in the centres, he doesn't get enough position in the centres, and he certainly won't play that sweeping role that is so natural for him and they're not going to slot him in at 5'8 either because they've got the combination from the Panthers so it really makes the rugby league brain think what are they going to do with Pappenhausen when it comes to the state of origin when it comes to playing the Warriors I tell you what I've enjoyed the clashes between the Warriors and the Melbourne Storm on Anzac Day over the years and the Warriors have notoriously had excellent results playing against Melbourne in Melbourne throughout that Anzac period because it's about every Kiwi rugby league fan that's based in Victoria turn up to that match and they get a lot of support base. So I think the Warriors will certainly put in an improved performance but every single time you watch the Melbourne Storm at the moment, they are just on fire. And they're a pleasure to watch. They're enjoyable to watch because every player, Smitty, knows what they have to do. They've been told what they have to do and it's almost instinctive now. It's instinctive for them and you think they're just making it up but they're not. They know what they have to do. They've been told what they have to do. And then you've got someone like Pavenhausen, who is the best player in the competition, just a small guy with a massive heart, and you can't beat speed in rugby league. You can't replace speed in rugby league, and the Warriors will certainly have to be on their best defensive behaviour if they're going to try and shut down the Melbourne Storm, because you focus on one player and it's just someone else that'll make you you punish. But I'm really excited about that clash. I reckon it's going to be a great game of footy. Well, yes, you're... uh very uh, praiseworthy about Nathan Brown and his attitude after that loss. Um, and I, I love uh, a lot of the NRL coaches because uh, unlike some of our rugby ones, they they actually wear their heart on their sleeve week after week and none better than Ricky Stewart for me. I, I mean, he's great copy, as they say in the media. Uh, his side going down to the Cowboys 18-12 and his reaction afterwards, basically, they don't deserve to be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ricky doesn't hold back, does he? I've interviewed him on several occasions and I tell you what, he just says exactly what he's feeling. And it's kind of refreshing, I guess, to have coaches um, come out and, and talk honestly about what's going on and why it's working and why it's not working. And and there was a time, maybe 15 years ago, they, they hardly said anything, but I guess they're just so passionate at the moment. They've got a lot to, to be said and reveal. I, I felt sorry for Ricky Stewart, really hungry for that victory. And the Raiders have certainly improved their performance over the last month. They're not the same side that started in the opening rounds of the competition, but he's, he's not holding back as to what's going wrong at the moment, and I'm sure he'll try and rectify it. But he's refreshing to come out and, and interview and listen to because he doesn't hold back on the players. And it's like what I said about Nathan Brown. I, I'd be the first to critique him if he didn't say anything. 
And I would have been really disappointed if he said, oh, the Warriors were ripped off from the referee. But he said, you can't take that win away from the Roosters because of the refs. And I'm like, hats off, mate. You can move on from that now. And your players will learn from that now. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Okay. Uh, of interest also, uh, the Broncos actually started uh, pretty well against the Panthers. In fact, they, they had a healthy lead at one point and uh, and then, of course, uh, the class of the Panthers, uh, the Cleary show took over and it was quite uh, emphatic towards the end. The Panthers don't panic at any stage of the match or the competition. I mean, they're defending champs, they're hot favourites to do so well and undefeated so far in the opening rounds of the NRL. But what I like about the Panthers and the performance that they put in is that you wouldn't know at any stage in the game if they're up by 20 or if they're down by 20 because it doesn't seem to bother them, Smitty. It doesn't affect them. They know they're the better side than the opposition and they do a lot of ground groundwork. And, you know, Ivan Cleary is one of those coaches that's really analytical. And I know all the coaches go through the footage and they've got footage team and visual teams that ascertain and check out everything. But Ivan Cleary doesn't just do that for the Panthers. He does it mainly on the opposition. So he knows all the weaknesses of the side. He knew the Bronx would come out and, and attack early and have lots of energy and be great. But 30 minutes into that match, then they'd run out of energy because... They're so big and they are lacking mobility this year because they've gone with a bigger pack up front. And he knows exactly where their weaknesses are and he knows how to target them. And he communicates that with his players. And then all we have to do is sit back and watch the Panthers show. Uh, I think I tipped them at the start of the year to, to be in the grand final and, and maybe even to back it up and win. I, I kind of agree with Andrew Johns that came out last week and said at this stage there's only three teams in, in the competition, which would be Melbourne, um, Storm, and the Eels, they're the ones that'll make it through maybe to the grand final and you've got the Sharks knocking on all of their doors. But at this stage, when you look at the performances from those sides, whether or not they're winning or losing, they've certainly got grand final material written all over their jerseys at this stage of the comp. Slight hiccup for the Eels yesterday, though, having said that. No one um, what a great it. story, no though. No one talk about it. <laughs> West Tigers. West Tigers, 21, Eels, 20. And an Englishman is the hero, and Jackson Hastings at halfback with a drop goal, 40-metre drop goal. It was, it was painful for a rugby league fan of the Eels to watch, but I, I'm a massive fan of Jackson Hastings. I, I really liked his time with the Roosters a few years back, and then he had a stint um, with Manly prior to going over to England. I don't know what happened at Manly. Something went down, Smitty, at Manly, and he had a bit of a disagreement with um, the core playing group, but it was at that stage where there was a unity with the brothers and, and, and everyone getting together and the outsiders didn't really fit in. And Jackson Hastings had come from the Roosters where he was really, really good, great kicker, very impressive with his play, and come into Manly and didn't slot in nicely at all. So he goes, OK, see you later. I'm going to go over to the Super League, you know, which we all consider a, an inferior competition. But he plays for the Red Devils, takes them to a grand final, goes off and plays for Wigan, takes them to a grand final. In 2019... He was named as the Player of the Year, um, the Man of Steel, they call it, which is the Dalian Player of the Year in the NRL. So he was the best player in the competition in 2019. He comes back here, plays a game for the Tigers, gets you know suspended for a head-high tackle on a night sky. And I think to myself, what a waste of a talent. Like, you're such a good player and you're going to spend a couple of weeks on the sideline. What are you doing, mate? You know, don't be so stupid. Don't come play for a club and, and do that. You'll be lucky to get another chance. But... Madge has realised that Luke Brooks isn't the halfback for him. Luke Brooks, the million-dollar man, just hasn't been playing because he's not been under pressure from anyone. And Madge goes, well, I think I'll either get sacked from my job, which he potentially would have because they lost five in a row, or I'll try Luke Brooks out with the number six on his jersey 
and see how this Jackson Hastings goes. And it wasn't just the kick that, that won the game for him. He literally rallied the troops and led them all around the park. He's got a magnificent rugby league brain and a, a delightful kick, whether it be the high bomb or the, or the soft rubber kick. He managed to retain so much possession for the Tigers because the ball kept coming back. And he also complimented Luke Brooks. There was no um, urgency between them to be hungry or be a hamu for the ball. They both shared the ball with each other and they read each other's play really well. So if you're a Tigers fan, you can re- maybe breathe a sigh of relief. If you're a Madge fan, you might realise that he gets another chance in the competition. And they've got someone by the name of Jackson Hastings, who is one of the best rugby league players in the world that looks as though he'll continue to don that number seven jersey. Mind you, he was playing against Mitch Moses, who's regarded as the best halfback in the competition at the moment. And Jackson mm. Hastings had it all over Mitch Moses throughout that game. So that's a great wake-up call for the Eels halfback as well. Sydney Morning Herald reported over the weekend that the NRL may be looking to crack the, into the American market uh, with the help of Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe. Uh, that would see the 2023 season opener played between the Manly Sea Eagles, South Sydney Rabbitohs, at the home of the uh, Los Angeles Football Club, uh, the Bank of California Stadium. Uh, would it work? Would it work? Would it just be a bit novelty? Like, um, would it get teeth into it? Like rugby is trying to do, or would it just be a, a one-off novelty thing? A bit like the NFL going to Wembley. I think it's a bit junky, personally. Um, the one thing I've learnt from Rugby League, which I do believe is the greatest game of all, is that it's such a brilliant product and it's marketed so well throughout Australia and New Zealand where its popularity is growing overseas. But they could have taken a note out of the AFL books years ago. And, and the AFL has a magnificent competition that's ran in-house in Australia. And they don't try and promote themselves overseas. They don't try and make an international spectacle of the sport because they don't have to because it's so successful and runs so well in Australia. And I honestly think you don't need to tinker too much with rugby league. Uh, I think the only reason they would look to do that is to try and get extra bums on seats and try and get a corporate dollar to get more money into the game. But that's why they've got television rights, to negotiate that to get more money into the game. Uh, I think rugby league fans in this country, in Australia, should be rewarded with all the matches played at home. And I just don't see how it's benefiting rugby league fans here or the sport overseas by taking it over to America to see if they can try and get some bums on seats there. So I'm not a massive fan of it. It'll probably still go ahead as a spectacle and not be that successful. But I just think when it's ran so well and is such a magnificent competition, I've mentioned to you so many times, Smitty, you don't have to be a Warriors or an Eels fan to enjoy the rugby league. In fact, those two teams that I like to follow both lost at the weekend and I still really enjoyed all the footy that I got to watch. So... I don't think they need to tinker too much with the competition at all to make it a better product. It's pretty good at the moment. Cool, Lavina. Fantastic uh, to have your input this morning on all those matters and your diplomatic stance about officiating, I think, was the thing uh, I got the most out of it. There you go. No worries, Smitty. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, cheers, Lavina. Good there uh, with her thoughts on NRL action over the weekend and certainly not prepared to even to seriously talk about uh, the officiating side of it. She said it was beautifully summed up by Nathan Brown and Sean Johnson too afterwards saying we didn't lose because of that. We just simply weren't good enough and we've got to be a lot better and they certainly do. They've got the, the storm up uh, this weekend uh, coming Anzac Day. Traditional clash. It is 11.20 here on SENZ. Uh, when we return we'll have some headlines from producer 
Logan Swinkles uh, from around the world and then a chance to stump Smithy around 11.30. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. That's right, it is time to go around the world here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith and producer Logan Swinkles. Uh, before we get into that though, big shout out to our naming rights sponsors, Polaris. They are New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. And Smithy, I know you can't wait to get one in your garage, mate. Well, I've made room. But, um, I, I just had a look through the door there, it's still not there. So uh, I'm looking at the Polaris General. The Polaris General for me because... Uh, as I said, I've got a, a mate called the General, and uh, it's room enough for both of us to sit in as we mosey off down to the village every now and then. So um, that'll be cool. Uh, I look forward to uh, our association with Polaris continuing long into the future. So, yeah. What about the headlines this morning? And uh, a sad one with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely uh, thoughts go out to his family there. I just can't even imagine um, the pain of... Losing a child, Smithy, it's, it's very sad news. Uh, on, on another note, uh, the Sydney Kings have announced who's going to be headlining their uh, celebrity charity game. And the charity is Starlight Children's Foundation, so a very worthy cause there. Being headlined by Nick Kyrgios. Uh, so he is going to be hitting the court along with Anthony the Man Mundine and he's going to be going up against his son who is an up and coming basketballer Anthony Mundine Jr and to wrap that all up we've got SEN's very own Jimmy Smith taking to the court there Smithy so I'll be very curious to see how uh, Jimmy Smith goes Yeah interesting uh, concept that there's uh, a lot of these things going on around the world as long as they're not overdone um, and the, you know they're, they're for a worthy cause I think that's cool um, and so this clearly is one as well. I will say about uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo thing, the, uh, the problem um, that they're going to face is, is the media. Um, it's all very well to ask for privacy and, and um, just consideration and that. But the trouble is, is Cristiano Ronaldo, when he breathes, he makes a headline. When you know Anything he does basically makes a headline. Um, and he has been worth so much money to media outlets over the years just through his mm. deeds on and off the field that... It's going to be pretty hard for in this situation for the media just to walk away and leave him alone. So uh, it would be nice to think that that would be the case. And here we are pointing the finger at the media, and we are, of course, part of the media. Um, and we're talking about it now, and we're just, uh, I guess, symptomatic of the fact that it's not going to be an easy time for him. But you're right. Uh, losing uh, a newborn twin like that, um, not, not good at all. Not good at all. So... Uh, yeah, I thought uh, not that he listens to the show, but our thoughts go out to Cristiano Ronaldo and his family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into one last headline, Smithy, I got to know what is your golf handicap? Eight point six, I think, at the moment. Eight points. Been a while. It's been a while. Eight point six, I think. Okay, well, keep that in mind for this. Uh, this year's version of the match will feature a foursome of Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. Uh, the 12-hole exhibition charity golf tournament will take place on June 1st at the Wynn in Las Vegas. It's the only golf course on the Vegas Strip there. Uh, it's going to be the old guard against the youngsters. This time around, Brady and Rogers uh, will be teaming up together. Last year, they were opponents, and they were paired up with uh, Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau. Rogers and DeChambeau won the match. 
Uh, and previously, there's been five editions of the match. It's raised nearly $33 million American for various charities, according to Turner Sports. Well, this is why I asked about your handicap, Smithy. Aaron Rodgers is listed at a 4.6. Brady has an 8.1. Uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen has a 9.0. And Mahomes is reportedly a 7.7. Too much time on their hands. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, that's way too a, much time on their hands. They've got a long what off season. What do they play for privately? What do they play privately? I wonder what they play for privately. I mean, you're not going to go play for ten dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, are you? No, you're not going to. What about ten thousand? I reckon Jordan's astronomical amount of gambling. Michael Jordan on the golf course. I'm actually nine point two. Nine point two. I've shifted out to nine point two. So there you go. That's my honest official handicap, uh, and I'd be happy at any with any of those. Four quarterbacks, any of them, I'd be happy to take their money off them at any stage. Uh, it is 11.30 here on SENZ, which uh, reminds me you can take some money off us if you're good enough. Uh, it's time to dial 0800-150811, our first stump smithy for this shortened week. Uh, look to build the pot up, so we've got some to give away at the weekend, but uh, you might think differently. 0800-150811 is the number to call, and in the meantime, while you're doing that, Araha will have some news for us. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, batter up. It's time to get stumped here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Had a few days off, Smithy, but I know you're rearing to go. Yep, I can't. Uh, I can't wait. Actually, uh, who we got on the line first? Uh, well, joining us at the crease first up, we have Lane from Christchurch. Come in, mate. Hey, mate. How you going? Yeah, doing good, buddy. Is this your first time playing stumped? It is, mate. Yep. Oh, how good. Love to have a newbie, mate. So up for grabs today. Uh, $50 TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. We've got three sporting categories for you to choose from today. Uh, get all three questions correctly. Uh, you can win a big. Get a question wrong, though, and it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out on those first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final, and we jackpot tomorrow. And I, Smithy, is keen for that. So, Lane, today's topics are New Zealand at the Commonwealth Games, cricket and boxing. Take your pick. Oh, no. Um, oh, Sorry, can you say that again, mate? Uh, boxing, sorry. Boxing. All right, here we go. Sorry, you're cracking up a little bit. Boxing. How, you, how do you go on your boxing there, Smithy? No, very good. Not very good at all, so not expecting much here. Okay. Here oh, we... Save me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all the best to you, Lane. Here we go. Tyson Fury and Dillian White square off this Sunday. Who did White fight in 2018 to claim the then-vacant WBO international title, heavyweight title? 2018. Um... Oh, One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not Klitschko. Over to you, Smithy. What year was it? 2018. Uh, I'm going to go Joseph Parker. 
Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That's one down, Smithy. On the line now, we have Dylan from Central Otago. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, great. All right, on to the boxing. Tim Zhu is currently Australia's number one super welterweight boxer, undefeated 21-0 in his career. How many of those wins were by knockout? Uh, I'd say all of them. One of the worst things I have ever seen <laughs> done on a cricket field. I mean, good guess. Tim Zhu is an amazing boxer, but no, not all of them. Smithy? 17. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Very, very close, Smithy. It's 15. So you're still alive there, Dylan. On to the last question. Mike Tyson uh, had 58 professional fights to his name when he, uh, during his illustrious boxing career. How many did Tyson lose? Ooh. I'm thinking... Either two or three, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, two. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, set up for a stumping. Well, he lost to Buster Douglas. That was the first of his losses, wasn't it? The first high-profile loss in Japan, I'm pretty sure. So uh, I'm going to say he lost more than that. I'm going to say uh, out of the 50 fights, 50 odd fights he had, that he lost five. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. So close, Smithy. That was really, really close. Six. Six was the answer. That's how many he lost. He also had 50 wins and two no contests. So, uh, Dylan, is this also your first time playing? I can't recall seeing that name before. No, I have been on a while back, but yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Well, it's good to have you back, mate. Thanks for calling in. Hold the line, and uh, Brian will get you details for that $50 TAB bonus bet. Hard luck, Smithy. Maybe a stumping tomorrow. Maybe a stumping tomorrow, yeah. Boxing wasn't ever going to be one of my fortes, so um, I don't mind watching the odd classic fight. And um, Actually, I I prefer watching boxing uh, to UFC, I will say that. Um, not, Not everyone's cup of tea, but I prefer the old art, the old Queensbury rules art. So that's uh, a bit of me. So, Dylan, stay on the line. Brian will get your details. Congratulations. You are a winner on Stump Smithy for this Tuesday. Uh, because it's Tuesday, of course, we'll have a Mount Rushmore for you very shortly. Uh, Logan Swinkles and myself. Uh, and today's uh, topics were the four most, I guess, looked forward to or, um, you know, the favourite, favourite, I guess, yeah, favourite sporting events uh, that you look forward to either every year, every two years, every four years. Those ones that really get you on the edge of your seat and you look forward to months away from them. Uh, that's coming up very shortly. Arriving every month, visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. <laughs> Well, that music signifies that it's time for Mount Rushmore. We do it every uh, Tuesday morning around about this time. And we pick out subjects that uh, we think that you might be interested in in terms of texting in. So uh, we've had a few in this morning. Uh, Not as many as we would normally get, but uh, I think it's a really interesting subject and it's one that 
I look forward to talking about. So uh, it is the subject of the four uh, sports events that you look forward to the most or capture your attention the most um, in the course of uh, two to three to four years, maybe, because uh, some of their cycles are dictated to by that length of time. So, uh, Logan, I uh, believe you've won the toss this morning. You want to go first? <laughs> I believe I seem to win the toss a lot. Uh, yeah. I, there's been a lot of talk about State of Origin uh, as one. I do love my rugby league, but I find it hard to follow State of Origin just because the time of night that it's on, you know, it gets pretty late um, and New Zealand doesn't really have any skin in the game. So the one that I really look forward to every year on the NRL calendar is the NRL Indigenous All-Stars game between the Indigenous All-Stars and the Māori All-Stars. Now, the reason why I love it, Smithy, is the, I mean, it's the obvious one, is the display of our culture versus their culture. And it, you can just hear there from the fans just how much they get behind it as well. It's a one-off. You get the likes of, not this year, but Latrell Mitchell going up against, you know, Brandon Smith. Oh, I just, I love it. It's the one rugby league game I will get up for every year, Smithy. Okay. Wouldn't have had that in my top 20, I've got to say, but. Uh, I appreciate that everyone has different tastes. Uh, I go a little bit more conventional uh, with mine, and that is uh, because I've, I've always looked forward to it. It happens a lot more often than it used to because of uh, financial reasons. It just pays the bills. One of cricket's great rivalries. Australia win in Hobart, they win the fifth test, and more importantly, they win this Ashes series 4-0. Yeah, she's a bit of a damp squib this time round, wasn't it? 4-0, and Australia are never in danger of losing it right from the very first ball of the series. Uh, but it's something I always uh, get up for, being a cricket uh, naffy, I suppose you'd have to say. Uh, but it is uh, the, one of the great rivalries, and... I just love it. I absolutely love it. I love the venues and I just love the spectacle that it is. So that's uh, my number four. My third one uh, for our Mount Rushmore of sporting events today, Smithy, we talk about, you know, annual, biannual, every four years. This one is every four years for me. It's the Winter Olympics. Uh, I love the Summer Olympics as well, but I just think there's there's less sports on offer in winter. Uh, there's more, so it's kind of easy to focus on. And, of course, this time around, it was just so magical for the Kiwis. And the 92.88, Zoe Sadowski Senate has on the final run of competition, she grabs the gold medal. It's been 70 years, 70 years for New Zealand, and she has the two, the two medals and the only gold one for Team New Zealand. Zoe sadowski Sinnott, your gold medalist in your women's slope style. Still, still can't argue. No, I can't argue with that. Yep. Still, I just get chills hearing that. Uh, what's your next one, Smithy? Yeah. yeah, I can't argue with that. And the, the reason um, why I'm going to watch the next Winter Olympics uh, so keenly is because of these Winter Olympics that have just been. So you're right. Uh, it will, it's well worth being in the top four. But um, <clears throat> mine goes back to one of my favourite pastimes and one of my favourite sports. Uh, and it's just finished. It's just been finished, actually. The latest winner, of course, Scotty Scheffler. Yes. 
<laughs> it might have taken a stroke or two extra, but the feeling is just as sweet. The 22 Masters champion, Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, it took him four putts on the last green, but he was always going to win it walking down the last. So, uh, But as an event, every year, every year I look forward to that on the calendar and try and get my schedule around the fact that I can watch as much of it as possible in the mornings. Yes, uh, the, the Masters, I should say, the Masters, yeah. Yeah, um, and of course there was a lot of hype around the Masters this year with the return of Tiger Woods. It's definitely one to get around for with every golf fan. Uh, for American sports fans, I mean, you really can't go past this one, Smithy. You just make a whole day of it. You cook the food, you get your mates around for some beers, whatever it might be. You might go for the cheap, nasty American beer or something else. But it is, of course, the Super Bowl. Finally! Super Bowl has come back to Los Angeles. It is time. It is time for all of us here and millions around the world to bear witness to these incredible players who will leave every ounce of sweat, guts, and pride and legacy on this hallow field because that is what champions do. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to say Finally, it is time for the Super Bowl! And what a massive Super Bowl it was, Smithy, not just for the epic halftime show. And of course, there's the ads to look forward to, the game itself. It is just an all-around, all-day event, Smithy. I love it every year. Yeah, and I didn't watch it because uh, The Rock waffled on like he did at the start of it, as we just heard. Uh, I I watched it because I like the uh, NFL and I like the Super Bowl. Uh, I love the occasion, but The Rock, I'm sorry, mate. Uh, you weren't part of my highlights for this season's uh, particular game. Uh, my number two, uh, this is uh, something that grabs me, grabs uh, this country, it grabs two countries on the same uh, day every year, and that is the first Tuesday in November. Twilight payment at the 300 metres, still three links fence, Tiger Moth, the chosen one, running on with Russian Camelot and Persan. Twilight payment tries to break their hearts, Tiger Moth wearing him down with the chosen one, it's Twilight payment, Tiger Moth still trying to get there, Twilight payment, what a ride, what a win, in a cup we'll never forget, has won it from Tiger Moth and Prince of Aaron third. Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. It's, it's all uh, that racing is for me. It's uh, about the entertainment, the glamour, the spectacle, uh, the tradition. Everything about it is that great race, the Melbourne Cup, that uh, stops two nations, not just one, particularly the racing fraternity in those two nations. And very pleased to say I've been to two of them and I've got my tickets for the third one. Moving on. Yeah, Melbourne Cup is a big one for sure. Like you said, stops two nations every year. Big one for me. Uh, American sports fans, we hear the, the words game seven. It just it, it sends chills down my spine. It puts me on the edge of my seat, and it's do or die, winner, win or go home. That's all it is. And, of course, for me, uh, it's the Stanley Cup with game sevens. The longest wait for a first title any team in this league has had. For the first time in their history, the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. I mean, you could hear there just how much that means to the St. Louis Blues there. That was a couple of years ago in 2019 when they won over the Boston Bruins. Sorry there, Sam Hewitt. 
Uh, but it's one of the hardest trophies to win in sport because the playoff is so grueling, Smithy. It has to be at the top of my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, good. I love your way that you make number one a sport where you can't see the puck. That's incredible. Anyway, let's move uh, along from that one uh, and uh, go to my final one. Now, this epitomizes uh, everything about sport for me because even though it's a team, a team event, it's still individual about individual. Individual, individual making up his own mind to do various things at the right time for the team cause. And that is my number one. Look forward to it every two years. Europe has the Ryder Cup back. It's appropriate that Molinari is the guy to officially get it done. A perfect 5-0. And six straight Ryder Cups for Europe over here. And isn't it interesting that between us we really never uh, chose a sport uh, that New Zealand dominates. Uh, we used to be very, very prevalent in the Melbourne Cup, but not anymore. Uh, the overseas-owned horses generally come from the other side of the world. So there you go. Uh, it's taken us through to 11.53. We'll take a break when we come back. A quick chance to catch up with Staffy before his show starts at midday. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.